to Mormons, mystics, and muons. Today's episode is not related to Mormonism, but is instead a reading of a paper I wrote on entropy. Entropy is in the eye of the beholder, the second law of thermodynamics as an artifact of conscious agents serially downsampling an infinitely complex reality. Introduction. Entropy refers to the level of disorder or randomness in a system. According to the second law of thermodynamics, herein referred to simply as the second law, the entropy of closed systems inevitably increases with time. This paper instead argues that this increase in the unpredictability of systems is a phenomenon conscious agents experience owing to their rendering of reality through a lossy, continual process of downsampling or compressing infinite complexity. Entropy is therefore linked to the bandwidth constraints or computational bounds of subjective conscious experience rather than being a property of objective systems, similar to other measurements in quantum physics. Alterations of bandwidth constraints toward a more lossless quality would then correlate with decreased entropy. Proper understanding of the second law requires a discussion of consciousness, idealism, and computational bounds of conscious agents. The second law uses the concepts of microstates and macrostates. A microstate is a specific conformation of particles within a system, while a macrostate describes the system using simplified or coarse-grained descriptions, such as overall temperature or pressure. There are multiple possible microstates that can satisfy a specific macrostate. With time, systems naturally appear to shift from less probable macrostates to more probable macrostates, owing to the sheer probabilities involved in the system occupying a smaller set of microstates versus a larger set of microstates. Consider a container divided into two, with an initial macrostate of 100 gas molecules on one side and a vacuum on the other. While we don't know the microstate of the system or the locations, velocities, and vectors of each gas molecule, we know it is one that fits this macrostate. After removing the separator and allowing time to pass, we'd expect the container to be in a macrostate where roughly 50 gas molecules occupy each section. While it is theoretically possible that the system could have stayed in the initial macrostate with all gas molecules on the one side, the number of possible microstates for that macrostate are vastly outnumbered by the number of possible microstates that satisfy the macrostate with the gas molecules spread out. The second law states that due to sheer probability, this closed system moved from a low entropy macrostate to a high entropy macrostate, or from order to disorder. Although called a law, there are theoretical and even experimental examples of violations of the second law. Gas molecules are often modeled as billiard balls colliding with each other according to Newtonian physics. In the previous example, the collisions of gas molecules would result in an even distribution throughout the container. If the model were paused at this point and chained so that the velocity of each molecule was reversed, unpausing the mo model would result in collisions that would proceed until all the gas molecules would end up in the initial state or on one side, if only for a single moment. While this is just not seen at large scales, these violations are seen experimentally on very small scales for brief moments of time when a system can end up going from a seemingly more random state to a more ordered state. Some point to processes that result in increasing order, like evolution, as contradictions to the second law. However, local increases of order are allowed at the expense of the global disorder. 
In other words, while entropy seems to decrease in localized pockets, the entropy of the closed system is still considered to be increasing. The role information plays in thermodynamics was highlighted by physicist James Clerk, Maxwell's 1867 thought experiment. In Maxwell's Demon, an imaginary creature controls a massless door separating two sides of a chamber of gas. By opening or closing the door when a gas molecule approaches, the demon possesses the ability to selectively sort molecules based on their speeds, potentially creating a temperature gradient without expending energy, thus defying the second law. The main critique of this experiment is that the information gathering required by the demon to determine molecule speeds would involve energy expenditure and increase en entropy. Recently, theoretical physicist Sabine Hassenfelder computer scientist and physicist Stephen Wolfram, and cognitive psychologist Donald Hoffman have presented compelling challenges to the second law directly and indirectly, all revolving around the concepts of information and consciousness. Sabina Hasenfelder. In June of 2023, Hasenfelder posted a video titled, I Don't Believe the Second Law of Thermodynamics. She connects known information about a system with entropy by explaining the formula for entropy, the natural logarithm of the number of microstates multiplied by Boltzmann's constant. With a natural logarithm of one being zero, the entropy of a system with only one microstate would be zero. In other words, if all information about a system was known, its macrostate would have one microstate only, and the system would be devoid of entropy. This illustrates that entropy is a property defined by the information a conscious agent has about a system rather than being an inherent property of the system. Hasenfelder then states that all systems are technically in only one microstate, and when they change, they are still only in one microstate, eliminating an increase in entropy. To explain the phenomenon of increasing entropy, she says, quote, if we put air molecules in the corner of the box, we don't know where they're going, but at least we know where they are. If we now let the air spread into the entire box, it's still the same microstate. It's still a microstate that one minute ago was in the corner of the box, but we can't tell. We used to have information about this state that we no longer have. That's why entropy increases, because we lose access to information. But there are always macrostates that will turn a high entropy system into a low entropy system. For the molecules in the box, for example, you could put in a divider like this, that she draws a meandering line around the molecule gas molecules to create two sections with differing concentration of molecules. It's just that this would require information that we cannot easily access. We can access it, but for that we need another low entropy reservoir. The relevant point is now that our notion of entropy is based on the physical properties of macroscopic devices that we humans have easy access to. It isn't a fundamental property of nature. I believe that as the universe gets older and entropy increases according to us, new complex systems will emerge that will rely on different macrostates, macrostates that we ourselves could never use. And for those complex systems, call them living beings, the entropy will decrease, decrease again." Close quote. In other words, Hassenfelder identifies that the second law describes a phenomenon of conscious agents and isn't inherent to nature. She rejects the idea of the heat death of the universe, believing that as more complex life forms come along with access to more information, entropy will decrease. While she pre presents a cogent argument, Hasenfelder leaves a lot unaddressed, failing to address consciousness, explain the intersubjective nature of entropy by separate conscious agents, 
discuss the implications for the arrow of time, or hypothesize why we lose access to information over time. These require the robust philosophical framework of idealism. Stephen Wolfram. As a physicist and computer scientist, Stephen Wolfram has sought to explain the laws of physics as emergent phenomena arising from simple rules. In doing so, he's worked with cellular automata, or computational models involving grids of cells, each having discrete states evolving over time according to simple rules based on the state of the cell and its neighbors. These models have an initial state or a row of cells with different shading, and depending on what the simple rules dictate, produce successive rows. Some rules immediately appear to produce random behavior. Others take time before descending into apparent randomness. Some repeat methodically in nested patterns, yet others have some level of organization mixed with what appears as random behavior. Yet all are deterministic at their core without any random behavior, showing how complex behavior can emerge from simple rules. In April of 2021, Wolfram posted, quote, in a sense, our universe is fundamentally computational all the way down, end quote. He then goes on to state, quote, my most fundamental takeaway has been that even simple programs can produce immensely complex behavior, and that this behavior is usually computationally irreducible in the sense that it can't be predicted by anything much less than just running the explicit computation that produced it. And at the level of the machine code, our models very much suggest that our universe will be full of such computational irreducibility, end quote. He then introduces how computational bounds of observers determine the laws of physics. Quote, it's about what a computationally bounded observer like us can see in all this computational irreducibility. And the key point is that within the computational irreducibility, there are inevitably slices of computation reducibility that are what make it possible for us as computationally bounded entities to identify meaningful scientific laws and to do science, end quote. Another key concept in his models is what he calls the Rouliad, or the, quote, entangled limit of everything that is computationally possible, the result of following all possible computational rules in all possible ways, end quote. In essence, Wolfram compares the universe to be the Rouliad, the set of all computational possibilities of simple rules. These rules are irreducibly complex, like a fractal, which is recursive and lends itself to be extrapolated at any other level through an understanding at one level, these rules have no shortcuts to be fully understood. They must be calculated to get the answer. However, there are pockets of reducibility or patterns that can be observed and leveraged to gain some predictive understanding of the rule. Computationally bounded observers like humans exist as subsets of the Rouliad or universe. While unable to comprehend the totality of the Rouliad, these observers can recognize these patterns or pockets of reducibility creating heuristic models to crudely model reality. The level to which they can recognize these patterns and make sense of what otherwise appears to be chaos depends on their computational bounds or essentially the computing power of their observing perspective. In February of 2023, Wolfram released an extensive account of his 50-year history grappling with the second law. In this account, he uses his models to outline a similar position to Hasenfelder's, the phenomenon we, as computationally bounded observers, experience as a second law is due to the irreducible complexity of the universe. Owing to our computational bounds, we are only able to model a certain percentage of the behavior of the Rouliad. 
from moment to moment, the deficit between our computational bounds and the irreducible complexity of the universe adds up. Despite pockets of reducibility, the patterns exceeding our computational bounds are interpreted as randomness. This seemingly random information compounds and builds up with time, leading to what we experience as the second law. Despite our perception of randomness within the Rouliad, by containing all computational possibilities, the Rouliad is the opposite of randomness. Rather, it is completeness. Any observer is contained in and therefore experiences the Rouliad from within. As such, observers contain a subset of the computational power of the Rouliad, leading to computational bounds. Let's revisit the rows of cellular automata. Even if one recognizes much of the pattern, predicting behavior with 99% accuracy, each row compounds the bandwidth constriction as it is applied over and over again to the results of the previous prediction. Despite such a high rate of accuracy, the accuracy of such a model approaches zero with time. In some sense, this can be compared to the phenomenon of photocopying a photocopy endlessly. While cellular automata help illustrate why observers lose track of information with time, other models better illustrate how this is experienced. Multi-way graphs are upside-down tree graphs which represent all possible paths of a system, akin to the mini-worlds theory. Each node in the graph represents a complete state of the system, with lines between them indicating transitions from one state to another. As computationally bounded observers, our computing power is limited. Starting at any one node in the graph, we begin with a high fidelity or fine-grained understanding of that state, though not perfect. This is akin to knowing all the gas molecules are on one side of the container. In these graphs, time is the, quote, computational process of repeatedly updating these co connections in all possible ways, end quote. As time elapses, we now have to update our model from the initial node to now contain the many possible nodes below that initial node all representing possible states that could come next. However, now we are storing many nodes with the same computational power that previously held just one. This necessitates progressively downsampling our model to increasingly more coarse-grained versions. In the gas scenario, we eventually end up knowing the pressure of the gas in the chamber with no knowledge of the gas molecule's locations. This is akin to an internet connection streaming a single movie at 8K resolution but later dropping to 4K, 1080p, and finally 720p, as more and more movies are open to play simultaneously on the same bandwidth. Wolfram uses different models to posit that entropy is a phenomenon not of systems, but experienced by computationally bounded observers. We take a high-fidelity stream of reality and downsample it to fit within our ability to experience and comprehend. That process is lossy, is applied over and over again to the previous moment's result, and results in degradation from fine-grained knowledge about the state of a system to coarse-grained knowledge. Wolfram also explains phenomena of quantum physics, such as the collapse of the wave function, with this same logic of downsampling. Additionally, he applies this model to statistical mechanics, the branch of physics that seeks to explain the behavior of macroscopic systems by analyzing the properties and interactions of their microscopic constituents. Ultimately, he feels it is also applicable to general relativity. Wolfram wades into the discussion of consciousness and what it means for physics. While he doesn't come to firm conclusions, he discusses what it would be like for consciousness to exist at different levels, from the microscopic of neurons to the macroscopic of planetary consciousness. 
He does not discuss the determinants of an observer's computational bounds or the feasibility of expanding those bounds during one's lifetime rather than simply through evolutionary pressure. He makes it clear that what we as humans experience and call the laws of physics are simply relative to our computational bounds. Observers with different bounds would experience different laws of physics. Not only does he challenge a second law, but he also challenges the objectivity of the laws of physics. Donald Hoffman. As a cognitive psychologist studying visual perception, evolution, and consciousness, Donald Hoffman has put forth the interface theory of perception. Essentially a form of idealism, it asserts that the universe is consciousness all the way down. Hoffman has used computer models to show that, according to evolutionary game theory, there would effectively be a 0% chance reproductive fitness would have favored an objective perception of reality. Natural selection would have favored organisms with simplified and abstracted representations of reality to aid survival and reproduction. He compares this to unknowingly wearing a VR headset. Rather than each observer directly experiencing an objective reality or each experiencing their own discrete reality, they experience an intersubjective reality, similar to VR headsets connected to the same central computer. Each experiences different perspectives of the same deeper fundamental reality, just as a VR headset renders incomprehensible data into experiences and objects, our experience of consciousness is a rendering of a deeper layer of reality. In Hoffman's theory, space and time are rendered by consciousness rather than being fundamental. Additionally, there is no hard problem of consciousness as that exists only within materialism. Materialists conflate the correlations between physical brain activity and conscious experience with causation, yet have failed to produce a single de novo conscious experience from matter. Materialism requires two unexplained miracles, matter and consciousness arising from matter. On the other hand, idealism requires only the unexplained miracle of consciousness, as the experience of matter from consciousness is simple. Every night while we dream, we have the felt experience of matter, space, and time, all arising purely from consciousness. Idealism still requires an a priori assumption that consciousness exists. However, this is at least an assumption we can all vouch for. Hoffman has a simple and scalable model defining conscious agents or observers. This definition is such that the combination of one conscious agent interacting with another meets the definition together of a conscious agent. Speaking of conscious agents, Hoffman says, quote, First, a conscious agent is not necessarily a person. All persons are conscious agents or heterarchies of conscious agents, but not all conscious agents are persons. Second, the experiences of a given conscious agent might be utterly alien to us. They may constitute a modality of experience no human has imagined, much less experienced. Third, the dynamics of conscious agents does not, in general, take place in ordinary four-dimensional space-time. It takes place in state spaces of conscious observers. And for these state spaces, the notion of dimension might not even be well-defined." Hoffman's model of conscious agents and recognition that space-time is relative to the nature of a specific conscious agent harmonizes with Wolfram's model of computationally bounded observers with laws of physics relative to those bounds. The conscious agent that contains all conscious agents is his equivalent of the Rouliad. Through Hoffman's model of reality, the perception of increasing entropy would again be a property of the conscious agent, not inherent to objective systems. 
the filtering of a deeper fundamental reality beyond space-time into our conscious experience would occur according to the capacity of the conscious agent and the optimization function of consciousness, which according to evolution is reproduction. It should be noted that even evolution must be viewed as a projection of a deeper phenomenon beyond space-time. Hoffman argues for the infinite nature of reality using Gödel's incompleteness theorem, which states that any proof rests on at least one axiom which it cannot prove. Like Wolfram's model, this points to conscious agents experiencing a subset of reality subject to degradation over time as we lose track of information due to the lossy nature of reality filtration. Here's Hoffman discussing how entropy is an artifact of this projection or filtration of reality. Quote, this dynamics of conscious agents I mentioned is Markovian dynamics. You can make it so-called stationary dynamics in which the entropy of the dynamics doesn't change, but you can show that even if you have this Markovian dynamics of consciousness in which the entropy never changes, any projection by conditional probability, any projection looking at that dynamics will see it as increasing in entropy. In other words, the arrow of entropy, the arrow of time is an artifact of the projection. So consciousness itself has no arrow of time, but you can prove from this mathematics that you will get an arrow of time by projection. The proof is trivial. It's like two or three lines, end quote. Through idealism, Donald Hoffman provides answers to the questions raised by Sabina Hassenfelder's work. Instead of consciousness being a phenomenon, indirectly invoked but largely unaccounted for in her discussion of the second law, Hoffman defines consciousness and explains how its filters are the mechanism by which we lose track of information and experience increasing entropy. Time and space are both constructs of conscious agents, exposing Hassenfelder's circular logic that time will produce life forms that experience lower entropy, which ultimately defines time. Instead of a linear progression towards advanced life forms, Hoffman shows the nested nature of conscious agents. In other words, there are conscious agents or perspectives which encompass our human perspectives, experiencing different levels of entropy simultaneously with our experience. For example, humans as conscious agents are a composite collection of cells, each of which is itself a conscious agent, simultaneously having a simpler conscious experience, experiencing a different level of entropy. Intersubjectivity. Perhaps the most perplexing aspect of increasing entropy as a property of conscious agents rather than a trait of objective systems, lies in explaining the correlation seen across conscious agents. When two individuals measure the same system, they obtain similar results. As a society, we collectively observe the increasing entropy involved with fossil fuels. If increasing entropy was a property of observers, it seems that there would be no such correlation. This idea stems from the myth that the observer is separate from the system observed, leading to the idea that we as observers are entirely discrete from other observers. The divorce of, of observer and observed served science well before breaking down with the discovery of quantum physics. There are a few approaches to understanding the intersubjectivity of our experience of increased entropy, as well as reality for that matter. With entropy as a trait of observers' perspectives, Hassenfelder's more materialistic framework fails to provide any mechanism to explain the correlation between discrete observers. Within Wolfram's framework, computationally bounded observers are connected due to their shared existence within the same Rouliad. Perspectives would correlate according to the similarities between their computational bounds and place within the Rouliad. 
two humans would have similar computational bounds and therefore similar experiences of increasing entropy of the universe. Hoffman's VR headset analogy illustrates how two conscious agents would experience similar observations, depending on the correlation between their perspectives within a network of headsets connected to a centralized source of data. With doctorates in philosophy and computer engineering, Bernardo Castro presents more concrete support for the space between the extremes of an objective universe experienced by separate observers and a solipsistic, subjective one experienced by an observer. His monistic and idealistic framework describes the universe as a mind, using the psychological phenomenon of dissociation to explain the experience of separateness. Within his framework, conscious agents experience a dissociation from their environment and other conscious agents, despite everything being a manifestation of one mind or consciousness. Despite seeming counterintuitive, we experience a similar dissociation of one mind into seemingly discrete parts nightly when we dream. Our mind, normally operating as a cohesive individual observer, dissociates into many parts, one portion forming a dream avatar with which we identify. Yet the world, as well as the other individuals in the dream, are all created from the same mind which is creating the avatar. The dissociation of the avatar from the rest of the dream is so profound that other dream characters can genuinely surprise or frighten the avatar. Yet fears and thoughts that seem to belong to the avatar can suddenly manifest in the dream world, owing to the ultimate truth that the avatar and the dream world all manifest from the same mind. To further consider the interplay between conscious agents and idealism, consider dissociative identity disorder, an extreme example of dissociation where one's mind separates into distinct alter egos or personalities. Fascinatingly, there are research accounts of individuals whose alter egos, when asked to recall their dream, will recall the same dream from different perspectives or characters within that dream. Meaning, when the dream took place, there was no objective dream world experienced objectively by the dream avatar. Instead, there was a dream experience that can only be understood by recognizing that every part of the dream represented a part of the dreamer's mind, every part potentially having a unique observational perspective of the dream. While there was some level of consensus reality between the experiences of each alter ego, they each also had their own unique experience of the dream, which differed from one another. There was no objective dream world that could be untangled from the alter egos. The dream can only be understood through a summation of all possible perspectives within the dream. Waking life follows the same rules, with each conscious agent having a subjective experience that interacts to form an intersubjective reality. The waking reality we experience is much more stable than a dream, as the computational bounds of our waking experience far exceeds those that result from the computational constraints of one human mind creating a whole dream world as well as as its main character. Quantum Bayesianism, or cubism, is an interpretation of quantum mechanics which can also offer insights into the intersubjective realities experienced by different conscious agents. In cubism, the focus shifts from describing the objective properties of the external world to understanding the relationship between conscious agents and their observations. Possibilities in quantum mechanics represent a conscious agent's personal beliefs or degrees of belief about the outcomes of measurements. These probabilities are subjective and specific to each conscious agent. However, cubism also recognizes that these subjective beliefs are updated based on shared information and experiences, leading to a convergence of probabilities among different conscious agents. Therefore, while individual 
conscious agents may hold subjective beliefs about the nature of reality, the belief that their experiences and interactions all occur within the same containing reality leads to intersubjective correlation of experience. A crucial aspect of these models is the scalable or nestable nature of conscious perspectives, best described in Donald Hoffman's definition of conscious agents. This intuitive concept that there is not only an experience of reality from human perspective, but also from perspectives of greater and lesser complexity is lost in anthropocentrism or the idea that human beings are the central or most important entity in the universe. Overcoming entropy. Despite different approaches, Maxwell, Hosenfelder, Wolfram, and Hoffman all point to entropy being a measure of information a conscious agent has about a system. Since the entropy a conscious agent perceives increases with their loss of or inability to keep track of information, it follows that entropy would then decrease if they gained access to more information. For Maxwell's demon, this meant knowledge of the molecule's speed as they approached the massless door. In Sabine Hosenfelder's framework, this meant future life forms with undefined increased perceptual abilities or devices. Within Stephen Wolfram's computational models, this would mean increasing the computational bounds of a conscious agent. In Donald Hoffman's theory, this involves switching perspectives from one conscious agent to a higher order conscious agent. In fact, this phenomenon has been happening collectively as humans have evolved increasingly complex sensory and cognitive abilities and developed technology to augment our information gathering. This process is also experienced individually as newborns proceed through this same arc as they grow. In both of these examples, what is initially perceived as a chaotic world resolves into one of increasing order. The obvious objection to this claim is that the second law specifically refers to closed systems. Information being injected into the conscious agent's perspective could be seen as a violation. This objection brings us face to face with the thorniest aspect of quantum physics, the realization that the subject is inseparable from the object. There are no closed systems separate from the observer. The fact that the observer is part of the system being observed is a concept science has managed to ignore for some time, though it hasn't always been this way. The separation came about with the scientific revolution as society removed religious deities and related dogma from science through emphasis on objectivity and detachment. Yet in doing so, it unwittingly deified mankind to a position above and separate from the things observed. Wolfram and Hoffman's models do not make this mistake, placing the observer's position within a unified system being observed. Furthermore, with both models positing space-time as a construct relative to the observer, identification of the observer must be shifted away from a discrete entity of mass existing in space and time to a perspective or awareness of information. Therefore, while a static perspective or awareness results in the experience of increasing entropy, Expansion of the aperture of awareness or consciousness results in the experience of decreasing entropy. Bernardo Kastrup's model is once again helpful in showing how this expansion of awareness or consciousness is possible through examining dreams. Through lucid dreaming, extensively studied by psychologist Stephen LeBerge, individuals can reconnect the dissociated dream avatar to the rest of the dream world. Lucid dreaming involves the dream avatar recognizing it is in a dream and then gaining varying degrees of control over the dream, even potentially accessing details about the dreamer's waking identity, which are not normally available. In Tibetan Buddhism, the practice of dream yoga involves 
honing these skills of lucid dreaming with individuals achieving states of non-dual awareness within the dream, where boundaries between the dream avatar and the dream world cease to exist. These states of expanded awareness and non-dual experiences of oneness are also experienced in waking life through a variety of means, including meditation, spontaneously, and with psychedelics. During those experiences, it is common for individuals to report receiving information as though from a source outside of themselves. This corroborates the concept of conscious agents having access to previously inaccessible information that can bring the perception of decreased entropy or increasing order, as well as the idea that there are no closed systems. Conclusion. The second law of thermodynamics has been challenged from a variety of perspectives. These challenges are not only based on logical models, but are also supported by examining evolution, human development, and dream consciousness. Idealism provides the most robust framework for explaining how the phenomenon of increasing entropy is relative to the observer and not inherent in systems. Increasing entropy is an artifact resulting from the inability to keep track of information, resulting from a serial downsampling of an infinitely complex reality. By recognizing that the observer is not separate from the system being observed, and through exploration of the experience of consciousness, it becomes evident that experiencing decreasing entropy through expansions of awareness and consciousness is possible. 